Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is good to be with you, Pastor Tim. And what did I come in here for anyway? <laughs> Anybody have that experience? You go downstairs to the basement or out to the garage, and you're like, now what did I come in here to get? That seems to be happening to me more and more these days. You got a lot on your mind. You're just wondering, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, this happened to one of the great writers, one of my favorite English writers. His name was G.K. Chesterton. He's called the Prince of Paradox. He has got this incredible wit, and he's on a train, and he's going to this destination, and he's really totally absorbed in this book, and he kind of dozes off, and he wakes up, and he realizes he's on a train, and honest to goodness, he can't remember where he's headed. And he starts to panic, and he decides to get off at the next stop, which he does. And he sends his wife this telegram and says, I am here. Where ought I to be? <laughs> and she sends a telegram back. Look at your ticket. <laughs> well, friends, that is a real predicament, isn't it? And it's kind of like what's happening in the Christian world these days. We've all been like focused in our own lives. We've been absorbed with things going on around us. We've kind of fallen asleep. And we're wondering, what's going on? This world's on high speed. Everybody is traveling at a great rate and everybody's doing all these crazy things out in the culture. And it's a predicament that we find ourselves in. We've not only forgotten where we're going, what we're about, but we even, friends, forgot that we even have a ticket. And that's why we're in a series right now in this Pentecost season, we're calling it God of Miracles. Because we know God wants to do something great in your life. You know, we're focused on the vastness of God, the incredible power of God that can change your life can radically transform your situation and your heart. And I want to remind you that today we serve a God of miracles. You know, there comes a time in everybody's life when you need a miracle. And we've all been there. And you need a touch of God in your broken body. There's some illness, some pain. God, I need healing. Or maybe it's an issue in your family. Or maybe it's to mend a battered or broken relationship. Or maybe it's to find a job. It could be any number of things, but you cry out and you're like, I need help. There's no way out of this situation. I'm all boxed in. So we're in a series right now to let you know that we serve a God of great miracles. And God can change your life in such a powerful way. And that's why I want us to look at here this first miracle recorded that Jesus performs in John chapter 2. And it puts us so in touch with the power and the potency of God. Now, some have suggested that while the first miracle of Jesus was to turn water into wine, we Christians, we have tried to change this wine back into water. In other words, we've been diluting the gospel. Anybody here like tab? Anybody here like, uh, you know, a flat, tasteless Dr. Pepper? I mean, it doesn't taste too well when the fizz has gone out. 
And friends, this is exactly what has happened in our churches. And we need the Holy Spirit to perform a miracle. We need the Holy Spirit to sweep across our land and through our churches and fan the flame in our pulpits. We need a miracle. There's a sense in which we are looking at our ticket and we're trying to figure out what we're about and where we're going. Now, Augustine, who was one of the early apostolic fathers, thinking about miracles, he said, miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. And people have talked about miracles forever, every generation. In fact, it was the great science guy, the 17th century French mathematician and great physicist that Blaise Pascal. He said, I wouldn't have been a Christian had it not been for miracles. The power of God, the things that he saw that transformed situations captured his heart. And Jesus got a hold of him. Now, John 2 is the first known miracle of Christ. We know some 34, 35 miracles. And it takes place at a wedding. And what is it about weddings? I've done my share of weddings. They are wonderful. But you know, over the last couple of decades, there have been this move to take weddings outside the church into these kind of eccentric kinds of situations. I, I don't know if you've noticed some of the weddings going on today, but in the past couple of decades, there was like this one lady, her name was Michelle, and it was in Michigan, and she was working at 7-Eleven. And she loved working at 7-Eleven, loved her job, loved her customers, even fell in love with one of the customers. They decided to get married on the asphalt out in front of 7-Eleven. And guess what day they did? July 11th, the seventh month. And she held her bouquet in one of those, those super gulp cups. And at the reception, they had hot dogs and Slurpees at reduced prices. There was another couple, they, they wanted to be married out in the state of Washington on top of that Tacoma Narrow Suspension Bridge soaring over Puget Sound. This thing is like 18 stories up. They say it was the longest walk down wedding, uh, wedding aisle they've ever seen. And yet in another one up in Maine a few years ago, a couple met at their own transfer station, locally known as the Dump. And this is his first week of work, and this is our first time to bring in recyclables. And they met, and it was love at first sight. They just couldn't wait to say, I do at the dump. And they stood there taking their vows in a bucket loader. Now, couples are staging these very eccentric weddings. And I've always told people, hey, I'll marry you, but I am not going to marry you jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> or scuba diving, or riding on the beast or the diamondback. Now, there was nothing strange about this wedding. These things were going on all the time in the land of Palestine. This wedding in Cana of Galilee, there was nothing really unusual about it. Truth be told, most weddings, as lovely as they are, are pretty forgettable, aren't they? And that is until there's a cold-footed groom or somebody faints or they run out of wine, and that's what happened here. And Jesus attended this very unforgettable wedding here, and it shows us something. It shows us that Jesus doesn't just show up on Sundays, but Jesus is out in the mainstream of life 
on Mondays, on Tuesdays, on hump days, on Wednesdays, at all these occasions, Jesus is there and is to be called upon. Now, this was a great feast. This was an incredible gala. You know, Jewish weddings were so festive and large, and there would be this incredible ceremony amidst all the fancy celebrations. It involved this tremendous torch processions to the bride's home, and at that home there would be speeches and well wishes, and after that the procession would move to the groom's home. And as you know, Eastern and Western weddings are really kind of different. In Western weddings, the bride is the focus, and in the Western weddings, the groom is kind of this necessary evil. And they kind of come crawling out of the side and stand in front, and these days I come crawling out with them. And we stand up front, and all of a sudden, the music starts, and the star of the show enters, and it's the bride. But in Eastern weddings, the groom captures the spotlight. And that focal point is usually here at this great feast. And they would process to the groom's home, and this feast would go on for two or three days. Folks, this is not a two-hour reception. This is like a seven-day gala event that's happening here. Now, every wedding I've ever done has a crisis. Uh, this one wedding, they, uh, they were perfectionists, and they wanted all of this kind of rehearsing. It went on for like three hours, the longest rehearsal I ever had. And you know, yet the next day, some of the candles wouldn't burn. And there was dirt on the dress. And you know, you can try everything you could do to make it perfect. But we live in a broken world. There's bound to be mishaps and things that happen. Life doesn't always go as we plan. And there are times when problems are gonna arise and certainly there was one happening here in this wedding. And this is no doubt just your typical traditional wedding celebration. It was routine all until the wine ran out. And usually, as it tells us here, the best wine is saved uh, or put right on display at the beginning while everybody is kind of to themselves and the palate is right. But to run out of wine before the end, it was simply unforgettable. If you go and study and look at this culture here, this was a huge embarrassment to the family. This was a social disaster. And even back in the day, they would find people in this culture for things like this. So you can picture a stressed out family. You can kind of get the sense of a host here scurrying about badgering people, run down to the local Costco's, turn everything over, try to find some wine here. For whatever reason, the text indicates to us that Jesus' mother got involved and we don't know exactly why, but you can almost hear Mary here saying, don't worry about it, Jesus can take care of this. And you find Jesus taking care of this situation. There are three powerful things I want you to notice in this text. Three dramatic changes that Jesus can do in your life. The first thing here is you see Jesus turning the sadness to gladness. Now, this first miracle, it took place in a very natural setting and it's one of a timeless kind of celebration throughout the years. And if you've ever been to a wedding, if you've ever participated in a wedding, you know they're very happy occasions and very joyful. Lots of things, how incredible it is to be there and you're observing these two taking the vow before God and you're part of forming a new family. It's an awesome thing.
But you know, at the same time, there's a lot of pressure at a wedding. It's, it's kind of built in underneath. Is everything, is, is the music going to start on time? Is everybody going to be here? Uh, the candle's going to light? You know, are we going to have enough programs? Is the cake on time? Is it here? Is it good? I mean, there's a lot of pressure in this kind of setting. And this story here tells us some things about who Jesus is. When Jesus was called, he came. And that's a great point because Jesus cares when you call him. And don't miss the point here that this all arose out of human need. Uh, that's where God's miracles always start. It starts out of a human need. They always show us something about how great God is, but it always shows us here about how it starts out of a need. And some of us maybe have had a situation like this where you've put on an, an anniversary party, you've had a graduation party or a birthday party, and suddenly you're out of napkins, or you didn't have enough plates, or you're out of cupcakes or cookies or whatever it is. And so you sympathize with the host and the family here. And you know that suddenly what is a joyous occasion has been turned to great sadness and gloom and doom. And so Mary apprises Jesus of the situation. And we really don't know what in the world that she expected him to do. But we need to follow her example. She went to Jesus and that's what we should do. And our attention here in the story here in the first three verses are so immediately drawn to these six water pots. These pots are held here uh, and, and they're nearby. And we know the Pharisees, the legal people, it was not, pro, you know, it was prohibited to have standing water in pots like that, okay? And so you're seeing these empty pots that are there, and we know that they contain somewhere between 18 and 27, most people say 20 to 30 gallons of water each, and they were used for ceremonial purification. And the heart of Jesus went out to these people, and he felt their embarrassment. And you know, people matter to God, and you know, a Jewish family back in the day would say for years for these weddings, this was a big deal to get prepared for this. And for some reason here, they weren't prepared. The host or whoever was running the show had a miscalculation or wasn't watching what was going on. And all of a sudden they were running out of wine. And this really came up. And somebody maybe did something here wrong. Isn't it true that oftentimes we do things wrong ourselves? There was these two construction workers and it was lunchtime and they both got their lunch pails out and the first construction worker says, oh, I can't believe it, I hate bologna, another bologna sandwich. And the other construction worker said, well, why don't you ask your wife to make you something different? And he said, I don't have a wife, I made it myself. <laughs> and most of the bologna in life, we do it to ourselves. We create the problems. And if you want something different, you need to invite Jesus into your life. And Jesus here, his first sign transformed the situation. This first miracle shows us how he can take the doom and the gloom and he can change it around into something miraculous, something joyful. Secondly here, as you continue to read these 11 verses, verses 4 to 8, you find here it's transformative, this ineffectiveness to also now this usefulness. And if you notice something is missing in this story, where's the bride? They don't even get to that part. 
The most important part of the wedding, we would say. And at a wedding, nobody's interested in the preacher or the groom, I can tell you that. <laughs> and we only look when the bride comes in. And now, what did the bride wear? We don't know because the focus is not on those, but it's on suddenly now these empty water pots that are probably over against the wall, out of the way, could even be things kind of stacked up on top of them. And, you know, it kind of reminds us of us. Sometimes we feel our self-esteem is so low and we don't feel very attractive. We don't feel very effective. We think, oh, I really don't have any gifts I could share. I really can't do anything. I'm kind of nominal. I'm marginalized anyway, and, you know, I'm just going to be over and pushed to the side. But Jesus here in this story wants to use you. You're all, almost like a water pot. And he's waiting to use you. And he wants to fill you with the water of his word and then ladle you out. And if you're not serving somewhere, if you're not giving your life to God, you are going to be feeling that ineffectiveness in life. God can transform your situation, take your gifts and graces that he's given to you and bless your socks off. It, it kind of reminds me of the Spanish philosopher who tells about the Roman aqueduct in Segovia in his native Spain. It was built back in 109 AD. That's a long time ago. And for 1,800 years, it's been in use, and it carried the cool water from the mountain all the way down to the hot city. And nearly 60, 70 generations were using this, hundreds and hundreds of years. And then another generation came along, and it wasn't very long ago. And they said, oh, this aqueduct, it is such a great marvel that it ought to be preserved for our children as a museum piece. And we shall relieve it of all of its hard labor over these centuries so our children can see it for years to come and cherish it. And they did, and they laid these modern pipes down to pipe the water, and they gave the ancient bricks and mortar a reverent rest, and the aqueduct overnight began to fall apart. It wasn't being used and the sun beat down on the dry mortar and caused it to crumble and the bricks and the stones sagged and it threatened to fall. What ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated it overnight. Notice here Mary in the text, she gives workers orders in verse 5 and she said, you do what he tells you. And this teaches us another important lesson because no matter how odd it may seem, doing what Jesus says always makes sense. And Jesus here in the story performs this incredible miracle with what seems to be these useless pots suddenly having them filled with water and they become incredibly useful. That's what God wants to do in your life. But then third, notice he takes this hopelessness and it's suddenly healed. It's now this wholeness. I wonder if the people in this story actually knew what was going on. They were kind of there at the party. They were celebrating. And I wonder if they just kind of knew what was happening right there under their nose. You know, this happens sometimes. We don't really understand everything that's going on around us. I remember the five boys in a nearby house. They were practicing for a rock band. Have you ever had that happen? I had that as a young kid, and uh, there was a, a group of four or five kids across the street, and every 
maybe Tuesday night and Saturday night, they would beat the dickens out of their drums and electric guitars, and it would just shatter the calmness in the neighborhood. People couldn't tell where it was coming from, and then after a while, they identified this one house. Well, this one night, the family was away, and their house was broken into, and the family was robbed. And seeing the police outside, one of the neighbors ran down the street, and they said, hey, did they get the drums? Well, you can hardly blame the neighbor for the hope that they had, but I suppose they were feeling desperate for a solution because there wasn't one available. But with Jesus involved in this situation here, friends, there was hope. Jesus can transform your life today. Jesus gives abundantly and extravagantly, and in one quiet act, he produces 180 gallons of wine and this new technique of serving, and usually it was custom to put out the, uh, the better wine at the front of the festivities, but here it is at the end, and they're even calling him on it. He said, this is the best wine yet. This shows that Jesus produced nothing cheap. This was first class. This was extravagant. It wasn't a watered-down version. It wasn't diluted. There was no diet going on here. This was the real stuff, the highest quality, and the festivities were able to continue because for Jesus, people matter. Now, I'm sure if things had gone on here, life would have gone on without the wine. Uh, they may have been fine. They may have, uh, you know, been the talk of the town for the next few weeks, but the feast would have gone on and they would have probably survived. But it's John here, the writer of this book. Get the big picture. He's calling attention to what happened. He's calling attention to this sign here because this miracle had a deeper meaning. And he does this throughout the Gospel of John. And he only selects seven miracles in his Gospel to give it to us, to explain how Jesus has this transforming effect. He could have testified to a lot more, but he purposely here selects these seven. And in a miracle here, John wants us to know that Jesus has this kind of transforming power on our lives. He can bring change because people matter to God. Now, maybe you're here today and you feel like you are in a stuck situation. Maybe you're feeling pretty gloomy right now. You, you don't know where to turn, what to do next. Maybe you're in a situation where you just feel ineffective. I, I don't know how to bring change. I can't figure out where the light switch is, where I can get this thing moving in the right direction. I, I don't know how to handle it. Maybe today you just feel like you're so hopeless. But I want to challenge you today to make the call, and that is to call on Christ. Just like Mary went and called upon Christ, you need to do that too. A couple things I would challenge you to do that I found that's been so helpful in my life, and one is you can stop and listen. Everything is on fast forward, moving quickly. And generally what I do in the morning is I find myself trying to have two minutes of silence just to listen. Pray and then listen. God, I need you today. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's gonna happen but I need you to come alongside me and to guide me, to comfort me, direct me, use me. And even intermittent pauses throughout the day of prayer, and you make a space, you save a seat. 
Even as I'm coming to and from church or if I'm going to wherever it might be, I make sure my front seat is available. And some of the best prayer time is when I'm traveling and I know God is with me and I'm pouring out my heart to God. God, I need you. And another thing I could tell you today is you need to take a walk. Some of the great writers in history, they were creative people because they were walkers. Go back and look at Longfellow and some of the others. They were walkers. And there's something about having these Sabbath walks, whether it's in your park, in your neighborhood, and get alone with God. You know, Jesus was always moving from town to town and place to place. And I got to tell you, you need to get on that walk too. You need to get with God. And you need to invite Jesus into your life. And you'll start seeing miracles happen in your life. And this, back to G.K. Chesterton. He said, the world is not lacking in wonders, but in a sense of wonder. Shall we pray? Holy God, thank you so much for these wonderful stories how they can transform our hearts and lives. How you stand ready, oh God, to reach out to those who are in need today, feeling hopeless and ineffective. Those, Lord, where their joy has been turned to such sadness and gloom and doom, how we know today that you can work in lives and bring miracles. And so we ask you to do that today. Those that are here, oh God, may they cry out to you, May your sweet spirit be upon them and give them strength, give them peace. Transform their life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.